Welcome to the Graphic Campus Podcast, connecting authors to young readers and writers and educators too. Hi, my name is Rosa Lee, former teacher and current homeschooler and a lover of all children's books. And my name is Teresa Yang, former classroom teacher and now a full-time literacy advocate. We are here to dig in deep with authors and teachers who work hard every day to inspire young minds. For the next series of podcasts, we are featuring authors and educators that will be presenting at the Young Authors Book Festival 2021. Today, our guests are Edie Lowe and her two twin boys, Nathan and Gabriel. They co-wrote a book called Clementine's Great Big Uh-Ohs. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Edie. Wow, congratulations on publishing your first book. Can you please tell us how you got started? So I got started writing when I was a young child and I would try to write novels just based on what I had read. So I wanted to write my own book. And I would say when I was little, I tried very hard to write similar to things that I had already read. I didn't have my own voice. And so I was trying to emulate other people's styles. It was just something in me, like words just had to come out, I guess. And I would say that often I wrote stuff that just wasn't very good. I think that a huge part of writing is writing stuff that isn't very good, but not giving up. So trying and trying and trying and erasing and trying again and again. And I would say Clementine's Great Big Uh-Ohs. My children and I wrote that book together and is our first attempt. And we just keep writing and we have a sequel coming out. And we are also working on another picture book called Invisible Rules that I guess it's, it's more of an emotional book. Um, and we're not sure if we're going to keep it as a picture book or turn it into a middle grade novel. But when people read it, they just cheer for the character. And I guess what I've learned over the years of writing is that when you put your your who you are, your essence into your writing and not emulate anybody else, but just it's your voice and your essence into the story, people, readers can tell and they can really feel like what the character's feeling and they can... I guess, experience what the characters experience. Yeah, so in the story, Clementine has a lot of anxiety and she calls it uh uh-ohs. Is that what your boys would call it? How did you guys come up with that? In the very beginning, and because our family has special challenges, I think it was really hard for my kids to even know what anxiety was. It was just something that happened and it would come and go. And when we started working with uh, Jennifer McCaskill, she's also in the back matter of the book, where she provides some ideas and strategies for understanding O's. She actually gave anxiety a name and she called it an O for the kids. And uh oh is actually one of the words, the first words that a child will actually learn when they're really young. But Sometimes when kids or many of us, when we have special challenges, we don't have the language to even understand what is happening in our bodies and what that feeling is. So for us, that's a really special name. Thanks for asking that question, because because I remember when my kids first learned about uh-ohs, we were identifying them in the house and we would When we had them, we would say, oh, we're having an uh uh-oh. And then my son, Nathan, said, oh, mom, do we have uh uh-ohs outside the house too? 
can we look for them too outside the house? I love how you and your boys not only name it, but you talk about how it affects your body and to to be able to identify how it feels inside your body also. Yeah, thanks. I think that everyone feels uh-ohs in different places. Some people get headaches. Some people feel it inside their body. Some people, they just get sweaty palms. And I think everybody has not only different bodily feelings, but different ways in which we react to O's. So it's definitely a very personal story for you and your sons. Well, what was the process of writing this book like? Um, so when we started writing the book, my kids and I, we were working on it together. We would write scenes and then they would tell me which scenes felt more real to them. And so I think over time, we did a lot of editing. So taking out things that didn't feel as real and then putting things that felt more real to them. And I think that we got help from really great critique partners. And then also we got help from professional editors who could really refine our writing. And I think that whole process was just a great process because we really learned to cut things to their essence. Yeah. And I love that it was set during a birthday party because I know how much anxiety everyone has around a birthday party. I mean, having four kids myself, we're constantly throwing birthday parties and you almost have to not make it a big deal because there's so much expectation and so much built up excitement that comes with having this party, even though it's supposed to be a fun event, there's so much anxiety just centered around it. And so we've really learned to limit our guest list to just, if you're turning two, you have two friends come over and because of the anxiety. So I love that you chose that kind of event in your story. Oh, thanks. At the school that I worked at, the librarian actually really helped me with that because he said that it's of all the events in the book, that one was the most relatable Mm -hmm. to many kids. Just because for my kids, I, you know, it's like the day and it's going to be perfect and it's something they've all gone through. So that was one thing that we kept. And he actually said that we should, um, cut many other scenes and really focus in on that. It took me a while because I had some attachment to some of the other scenes Mm -hmm. to let them go. But I think that less is more. And if anything, I guess a theme that I feel like is coming up as I'm talking to you is really less is more. Keeping the essence, keeping what will really impact someone is so important and cutting out all the other things so that the writing is powerful. I felt like the language was simple enough for a young child to really follow along in the story, but then also there's so much discussion that can happen. It's also true as authors, we do get attached to parts of our story and it's really hard to let go sometimes when an editor tells us we've got to cut some things out. (laughs) So I can totally relate to that process also. But what about your sons? Did they have a hard time if they had to let go of a certain section? Yes. And so some of those sections appear in the sequel. So that's how we did it, because those are genuine moments that they had experienced. Well, you told us a little bit about your story. Could you give us a sneak peek into the workshop you will be presenting with your sons? Sure. I kind of want to have it be 
experimental workshop where kids are kind of making their own self-discoveries about anxiety. And I wanted to kind of show kids because sometimes it's hard for kids to know that they're feeling anxiety. It's hard for kids to know what to do when they're having those anxious moments. And it's also hard for them to know that they're not alone, that it's something that happens to all of us like me when my computer's beeping. Um, (laughs) So I think that I wanted to look at our current culture and things that are happening in our culture that are relatable for kids. The kids can relate to like the most popular cartoons. I don't know if Paw Patrol's outdated, but there's always Mayor Humdinger that comes in and the four pups always have an uh-oh and how they face it. And I just, what I hope for from the workshop is that kids won't be so afraid or it won't, like, it's not this kind of hazy concept that is like, you know, uh-ohs are real and everyone has them mm-hmm. and they're common and, and just kind of to normalize the whole experience that it's, mm-hmm. it's okay. And yeah, just to make it like and guide kids to discover that everybody has them and they have them throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can imagine having these uh-ohs throughout the day. I had a student in my class who had, he had a lot of trouble with this too. It, it was very anxiety driven for every activity, especially ones that spring up without having it planned. So as a teacher, you work on trying to not spring up new things, but by planning the things that are not planned. (laughs) I remember in Clementine's story, she had these, a section in that that gift that she got, and it was for unplanned uh Mm uh-ohs, right? And so, and I think that that is really awesome because a lot of students in my class just had high anxiety. If something sprang up, like there's a fire drill and they didn't know about it, it becomes a 10 times more emotional event than if I had just said that we're going to have a fire drill today in the morning. And so I know teachers use these strategies throughout the day because you experience it. And it was so great that Clementine got that gift because to have these unexpected events, but be a part of your plan. It's really genius, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, know. I, I think it's very empowering for students and for teachers. I mean, I think that uh-ohs are so natural and so common in the classroom all day. And to be able to say that there are going to be unplanned uh-ohs can be empowering for students and for their teachers. I think that's what changed our lives. Yeah, because we would be smacked down by them and crying and there would be a lot of emotional pain. But I think that, I think just us, you know, I take it for granted now. We've been to Yellowstone for multiple days and we went to the West entrance, which is closed. Um, And the North entrance was in another state three hours away. And we had already driven 14 hours and all our plans to go see Old Faithful, everything was scrapped, but none of us freaked out. (laughs) It's automatic in all of our minds now, like, oh, well, we know we're going to have a oh, so we replanned our whole trip. I love our, I guess, new way of being that it's going to be okay. And, and that's what Gabriel will say when he, that's his number one strategy. Like when he has an oh, he knows it's, it's going to come and he tells himself like, it's going to be okay. And it really is because when we're not in that freaked out mode, you know, we can think like, oh, what are we going to do? So we went fishing instead. And then 
went on a tour and saw some great wildlife, we ended up having a blast. That is so amazing. Well, Edie, we end our chat with a question about advice. It could be advice to give to your younger self, or it could be advice that you would give to our young authors and readers. I would say that I know there's a lot of aspiring young writers out there and avid readers. My advice would be to you guys, it would be that the more you write, whether it be something you're super proud of or whether it's something that's like, oh, maybe you're not as proud of, just keep on doing it and you'll get better. And then I would say it's really great if you're able to take a class, find a mentor that's willing to read your writing and give you good feedback on it. And it's just like ice skating. Like we see these great ice skaters on the ice and they're so beautiful. And we get on the ice and we're like, whoa, what happened? <laughs> like I fell again, <laughs> wiping ice off, you know, it's like that kind of process. So just the more we just put the blade to the ice and just keep on going, the stronger those writing muscles will be. That's great. And it is a muscle that needs to be practiced. (laughs) So your sons also have advice for our listeners. Let's hear what they have to say. Their advice is a little bit different on this video than what they had told me this morning. So what they told me this morning was we spend family time each day talking about different things. And we just happen to be talking about failures. And we even watched the Michael Jordan clip. And he said, you know, he's been entrusted to take the winning shot of a game so many times. And he's failed like 26 times. And he's there's all these fail. He got cut from his high school basketball team. But what my kids were saying was that those failures are what lead to success. Because with each failure, you make an adjustment like, okay, why did I fail? I want to do things differently. So their advice was around failing and that we want to fail a lot of times. And then here's Nathan. I'll play his video here. Hey, young writers. It's Nathan here. And I have some sort of advice. So I'd have to say they are to advice for young writers are to are to take your time and just slow down because writing is not about rushing. It's about not rushing and it's about like taking your time and it's very interesting and I mean not interesting like very like make sure your writing has got some like good dialogue, action and character thoughts and inside. So some other tips that I found interesting is you should look for other mentors or authors that you like and that might help you too like because they might give you good tips so that's just another thing that's all for me okay bye that's so great (laughs) that's really great advice and i have gabriel's advice here as well um should i play his for you yes please Okay. And I wanted to piggyback off what Nathan was saying about dialogue. And um, I listened to a Judy Bloom podcast once and she said that she takes a notebook and she secretly copies down dialogue in cafes. I think it was Judy Bloom or some other author. And I was like, oh, that's that's odd. Um, but then when I started writing, you know, authentic dialogue is really difficult. And so I have my own little notepad now and a pencil. But I do tell people like, oh, is it okay if I copy, you know? So, so here's Gabriel. Hi, young writers. This is me, Gabriel. I just want to say a couple of tips I have for you for writing is to make sure that your writing is neat, that you that you you edit by having caps and period, and also that um, you make with a lot of detail and make a plot so it goes up and then and that you edit because then you are a very good writer because you are, because you're very precise and and you change to your writing and so that's how you be a good writer. Okay, bye. That's great. They definitely have a good structure for writing. 
<laughs> and also, I do feel like he said something about capitals and other、oh, periods.、Mm -hmm. You have to be able to read your writing, right? Or if you want someone else to help you with your writing and they can't read it, then it's they spend too much energy just trying to figure out the words. And so that is good advice. And it sounds like they both found the value of editing in their writing as, as an important piece of that process. How many times do you think that you have revised your story before it was published? Would you say at least seventy-five to a hundred times? <gasps> yeah, yeah, that, that's and that's、lot. what we're hearing from a lot of our authors. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what Nathan said in his first video. He said to be patient. Because、mm -hmm. it takes a long time,、mm -hmm. and I think that a lot of times our students have almost an expectation that the first time they write something is going to be their final time they write that.、Mm -hmm. <laughs> Writing workshop process is all about getting your thoughts on paper, but then revising and revising and revising. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's really great that your sons had actually published a book, so they know and can celebrate the end process. I mean, what a celebration、yeah. to have that book in your hands! Thank you. How would you advise either teachers or students who feel like they're done and there's not much more that they can edit? How do you demonstrate how to relook at your writing to find a different thing to revise the next time they look at it? Well, what I generally love is what Nathan was saying—a mentor text—and I love looking at the mentor writing, and I love talking about why that piece of writing is so great, and using post-its to mark why it's so great, and then from that sea of post-its, or maybe a little pond of post-its, choosing one of them for our own writing, saying, "Oh, maybe I want to try this," and then trying that. Technique to up the level of writing of our own writing, and that's I think that's what a lot of people do from kids、mm -hmm. to grownups. Yeah, mentor texts are so important for for writing because I think we tend to get stuck sometimes in our thinking, and it really helps us to see with different eyes using a different author's voice or techniques that are demonstrated in another text. So that's that's awesome. Yeah, I think as a kid, I would get really stuck looking at my own writing. Like I don't know. <laughs> how to make it better? I'm done.、Yeah. But if I saw a really cool simile or a really cool metaphor, or I saw a really great description or that dialogue piece, then I might say, "Oh, I want to add dialogue, or I might want to add a simile to my own writing." Because、mm -hmm. I think it's just hard when we're like feels like the road's like a dead end. Like I don't know what what to do. But it's easier when we have that next step. Like, okay, well maybe we could try this. Because I think everybody wants to improve their writing and they want to be able to express themselves and their、mm -hmm. insides. Yeah, I love all of the dialogue that you and your sons put into the story, especially between Clementine and her mom. There were some very memorable quotes in that story that become almost like templates for when you feel anxiety and don't know how to get yourself out of it, or trying to think of a different way to. Look at the situation. So I really appreciated all of the time that you spent revising your dialogue. Thank you. A lot of it was not very natural, and so that's why there were so many revisions because we had to work and work on making it more and more natural, as natural as it could be,、mm -hmm. and try to move it from being teachy to more what someone might say if they were a mouse having anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I have a question I'm curious about. A lot of families do have children of their own with special challenges. Mm -hmm. And how does one go from dealing with those challenges on a daily basis multiple times Mm -hmm. to agreeing to write a book about it? Well, I think that going through it multiple times, it's become such a personal experience. I think that if we all share those experiences with each other, we can help each other because I wish I had known when the kids were much, much younger that I could help them by helping them understand what they were feeling, giving them a name for what they were feeling, helping them know that there actually is an end to it. It doesn't just go on and on, even though it feels so big that it's something that's We can make, I guess, give it some psychological distance, not be in it, you know, all the time. Like we're just walking and then snacks us again, we're in it and in it, but giving ourselves that psychological distance, like, oh, when it happens, we can step back and we can kind of analyze things more. And I didn't know that. I think we had to walk through that. And we did. We all wore timers. We timed our uh-ohs and it was not such a scary thing because we would see like, oh, we had the longest uh-oh that day, put it on a chart. So I would say um, any experiences other families are feeling, I would love to know them and learn from them and love to be able to learn from each other. Yeah, I'm going to go back to that whole naming thing, because first of all, you named it as an uh oh, and then you did the timer where you can say, well, that was a 10 second uh oh versus maybe it's a two hour uh oh, and you can kind of tell the difference. You can start comparing. It's almost Mm -hmm. like you have this data point now to say, do you really feel like this is going to be a 90 second uh oh versus 20 seconds? And I know other families, I've seen this where they rate um, their anxiety in a scale of one to 10. How are you feeling right now? Five out of 10, two out of 10, or nine out of 10. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like when you have ways to describe your mm-hmm. feelings or your, how anxious you are, it, it makes it so you can dialogue and have a productive conversations. And you can help your kids because you know what they're trying to say without actually having to describe it all the time. There's a scientific way to describe it now in your family. So that's so great. I love what you just said, how you're describing it, because I feel like that's a process of maturing. Like all of us, the three of us, when we were two years old and we were three years old, we were on the ground a lot crying or, you know, little things, right, might have bothered us. And that's just typical of every person. But I think what's really hard when we have special challenges is going back in time and going to your yesterday self like, oh, wait, that happened oh, I can react differently in talking to your tomorrow self. Like, oh, if this happens, I can make a different plan. So I feel like helping our kids be able to process that helps them to mature in age. So then they're not stuck at age two or age three and or age four. They're maturing over time because they're reflecting on their experiences, which is helping them become young adults eventually. Mm-hmm. Because it's hard when, when, especially for those of us that live like me, you know, more in the moment and not thinking so much about the past or the future. It's hard mm-hmm. when things happen, like, oh, you know, just taken by the moment instead of reflecting. Well, that message is important for anyone. I'm so excited for your workshop coming up on May 14th and for all the kids that will be in your workshop. So where can people find you? 
I had thought that earlier of setting up a website, like a Clementine website, post and share their discoveries because there is so much to discover. I feel like we just are scratching the very tip of it. You know, I'd like to hear other people's experiences and what they discover about their own O's and yeah, that's yeah. such a great idea because fans want to connect with the authors, especially if they really identify mm-hmm. with the things that you write about. So that would be a great idea. How about your book? Is there a place that you would send people to find your book? It's on Amazon. So mm-hmm. it's Clementine's Great Big Uh-Ohs and then under Edie Lau. And then it's also sold at Future Horizons, which is a world leader in publishing books for kids with with challenges. So those are the two places where the book can be purchased. I just want to repeat that because it's really important for parents and teachers who are looking for other resources for students with challenges is Future Horizons and their website is www.fh as in Future Horizons autism.com. So thank you for sharing that resource. Sure. And just, I always look at cost of things. The cost on Future Horizons is the same as it is on Amazon. It's $12.95. Great. (laughs) Thank you so much for spending a part of your afternoon with us and for coming to the book festival. Can't wait to see you on May 14th. Thank you both so much. It's been so wonderful to talk with you. I feel like I've learned a lot. Thank you. We've learned so much from you. To learn more about our book festival, go to www.youngauthorsbookfestival.org. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Graphic Campus podcast. Join us each week as we interview the guest authors of our book festival. Thanks for listening.